This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, violence breaks out in Mexico as gang members respond to the arrest of drug kingpin El Chapo's son. Frightened airline passengers hunker down for safety as shooting erupts at an airport. U.S. Special Forces, cyber warfare and a full naval embargo. Former President Donald Trump publishes a plan to wage war on drug cartels. The battle for the gavel wages on. 20 U.S. House Republicans are standing in the way of Kevin McCarthy becoming Speaker. But what are the reasons? California sees its second day of heavy storms. Santa Cruz pummeled with surf and rain. Forecasters warn of more to come in the next several days. And meet Britain's strictest headmistress. Find out how a British school's different approach to teaching has produced remarkable results that many will find surprising. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today's Friday, January 6th. Mexican drug cartel leader Ovidio Guzman was arrested yesterday. He's the son of the jailed kingpin that everyone knows as El Chapo. Now, the Mexican military is dealing with a violent backlash by gang gunmen because of his arrest again. And today's Daniel Monahan explains. Burned vehicles were scattered on the streets blocking roads while heavily armed law enforcement patrolled in pickup trucks. Defense Minister Luis Sandoval told reporters about the arrest of the 32-year-old senior member of the Sinaloa cartel. After controlling the direct aggression against the security forces, Ovidio N. was identified among the members of this criminal group and detained. Sandoval says Guzman was in possession of exclusive weaponry of the Mexican Army and Air Force. The detainee was transferred from the place of his arrest to Mexico City in a Mexican Air Force aircraft. The violence caused passengers to take cover in a plane at Culiacan Airport, while a Mexican Air Force craft was shot at while taxiing at the same airport. An attempt to arrest Guzman three years ago ended in humiliation for the government. The cartel boss was quickly released to end violent retribution in Culiacan from his gang. His latest capture comes before a North American Leaders Summit in Mexico City next week, which U.S. President Joe Biden will attend. Uh, we have advised U.S. citizens in Sinaloa uh, to remain alert for potential violence throughout the state. It is not yet clear whether a video will be extradited to the United States like his father, who is serving a life sentence at Colorado Supermax Prison. Joaquin El Chapo Guzman was convicted in New York in 2019 of trafficking billions of dollars of drugs to the United States and conspiring to murder enemies. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The U.S. State Department says Guzman and his brother have been running around 11 drug labs in the state of Sinaloa. The labs produce approximately 3,000 to 5,000 pounds of meth per month. They also say evidence indicates Guzman ordered the murders of informants and a popular Mexican singer. The singer reportedly refused to sing at his wedding. Former President Donald Trump says he will employ U.S. Special Forces and other military assets to inflict maximum damage on cartels crossing the southern border. That's if he is elected again as commander-in-chief. 
Trump accuses the drug cartels of waging war on America. In a video posted on Truth Social, the former president says the time has come for America to wage war on the cartels. Trump pledges to deploy a cyber warfare capabilities and impose a full naval embargo on the cartels to prevent the traffic of illicit drugs to the U.S. Trump's plan would designate major drug cartels as foreign terrorist organizations and cut them off from the global financial system. He's also calling on Congress to impose the death penalty for convicted drug traffickers. President Biden announced yesterday new immigration programs ahead of his visit to the border on Sunday. And today's Iris Tao has more from the White House. After two years in office, President Biden finally is set to visit the border. And I will visit the border myself this Sunday in El Paso to assess border enforcement operations. The announcement comes as Biden announces a new immigration program. The administration will now accept up to 30,000 migrants per month from Nicaragua, Cuba, Haiti and Venezuela. But these migrants need to find a sponsor here in the U.S. and pass a background check or else will be swiftly expelled to Mexico. But if your application is denied or you attempt to cross into the United States unlawfully, you will not be allowed to enter. Do not just show up at the border. But an immigration expert told me today that a new program would still subject communities to an influx of illegal immigrants. These people do not qualify for asylum under our laws, and therefore we're going to waste all this money putting them through immigration proceedings, and then they're still going to be living here illegally. Meanwhile, Biden's trip this Sunday comes after two years of intense pressure from Republicans. And just a month ago, the trip didn't appear to be on Biden's mind. Why go to a border state and not visit the border? Because the more important thing going on. And when asked today why now and what took so long. I wanted to make sure that I knew what the outcome, at least the near outcome, was on Title 42 before I went down. I raised that same question today to Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, but he didn't quite give an answer. One more question. Your reaction to Biden's trip to the border this weekend, and do you think it's overdue? I'm very much looking forward to joining the president in El Paso this weekend. Thank you. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, NTD News. The state of a U.S. Capitol Police officer is suing former President Trump. The officer died from a series of strokes a day after the breach at the Capitol on January 6th. The lawsuit was filed yesterday on behalf of the estate of Officer Brian Sicknick. They are suing for wrongful death and seeking $10 million in damages. They claim Trump incited violence. The lawsuit also accuses Trump of violating Sicknick's civil rights, assault and negligence. A medical examiner says Sicknick did not suffer any injuries on January 6th and that his death was due to natural causes. He also says the incident at the Capitol likely played a role in his condition. And at the Capitol today, the battle for the gavel wages on. After a 7th to 11th round of voting yesterday, Republican Kevin McCarthy was unable to secure the House Speaker role. A group of 20 Republicans are blocking his ascension. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on their reasons. The gentleman is recognized. Representative Matt Gates took the House floor Thursday to nominate former President Trump for the position of House Speaker. He used the opportunity to give his underlying reason for his opposition to McCarthy's ascension. This government for far too long has been deeply corrupt. 
This town has been deeply corrupt. The way people get leadership positions and chairmanships and opportunities to be able to morally preen has been by accepting lobbyist and special interest money and redistributing that money as currency for favors. Gates says he's not criticizing either political party, but rather how things in Congress have been allowed to go down. If we just go next man up on our side of the aisle, we will reify that corrupt system and we will abandon the people who are expecting us to fight for them. The Florida congressman has been one of McCarthy's most vocal critics with comments like this. If you want to drain the swamp, you cannot put the biggest alligator in charge of the exercise. Trump only received one vote. The former president is urging House Republicans to get things done and back McCarthy. Gates says he's worried if McCarthy gets elected, it will be business as usual. Specific reasons given by Gates include being dismissed by McCarthy on term limits, a first quarter budget balance, and a border plan from the Texas delegation. He says it comes down to trust and thinks McCarthy is liable to shift in his positions. Representative Lauren Boebert brought up similar issues and says the matter could have been resolved months ago, but McCarthy dismissed them border security for term limits. Just bring the bill to the floor so we can have a vote on term limits. Battle seasoned military veterans in Congress are growing frustrated with the group of holdouts. But we've asked and we've asked, what is it you want? What do you need? But you have 20 people demanding the unconditional surrender of including this group of warriors, we will not unconditionally surrender. Tell us what you want. We might surrender if you tell us the terms, but just so you know, we're in the strong position. There's 201 of us and 20 of them. The stalemate has the potential to drag on for months. It essentially hamstrings operations until a speaker is elected. But 20 people are not going to be the majority of this House. McCarthy is confident of victory and says it's not how you start, it's how you finish. The entire conference is going to have to learn how to work together. So it's better that we go through this process right now so we can achieve the things we want to achieve for the American public. McCarthy losing his 11th bid makes it the longest contest for House Speaker in over 160 years. And it's not over yet. Voting resumes Friday at noon. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The massive Pacific storm battered parts of California for a second day yesterday. High winds, torrential rain, and heavy snow kicked out power to tens of thousands of homes. Flash floods, rock slides, and toppled trees disrupted road travel. Coastal properties were pummeled in Santa Cruz. At least one bridge and one pier were severely damaged. Forecasters say the storm was powered by two overlapping phenomena, an airborne stream of dense moisture called an atmospheric river and a hurricane force low pressure system known as a bomb cyclone. Many in the low-lying flats of the city had their homes flooded. Here's what local residents had to say about the storm. Street was basically a river because uh, it's the steep hill flowing down it um, and it led to helped, uh, lead to all of this broken windows and roll down shutters, uh, all kinds of debris, logs, like I said, a boulder smashed into a house over here. This is a quite a significant um, amount of waves and devastation to the cliffs, um, but we are so thankful that for the sense of people helping people and checking in on each other. There's a house down at the end of the private neighborhood that completely lifted off its foundation is sitting in the middle of the street, blocking the rest of the neighborhood off. The National Weather Service says more can be expected over the next couple of days. They warned of flash flooding and mudslides in places saturated from repeated downpours. 
They say the most vulnerable areas are bare hillsides, hillsides stripped of vegetation from past wildfires. And now to the University of Idaho murders. Officials released long-awaited court documents on Thursday containing chilling new details about the case. The documents show DNA tests and cell phone data match with the main suspect. 28-year-old Brian Koberger, the main suspect in the murders of four Idaho students, appeared before an Idaho court on Thursday. That's after being extradited from Pennsylvania, where he was arrested last week. The families of victims reportedly attended the hearing, too, crying in the first row. Documents released on Thursday show that traces of the suspect's DNA were found on a knife sheath in the home where the victims were killed. However, no weapon was found. The documents explain how investigators matched the DNA. On December 27, 2022, Pennsylvania agents recovered the trash from the Koberger family residence located in Albrightsville, Pennsylvania. That evidence was sent to the Idaho State Lab for testing. The documents also say that location data from the suspect's cell phone shows he had traveled to the area of the victim's residence at least a dozen times between late June and the night of the killings in November. According to that data, he also returned to the area of the attacks just hours after the students were killed. One of the surviving roommates of the four killed students told investigators she heard someone crying in the early morning hours. The documents call the roommate DM and state that she opened her bedroom door after she heard the crying and saw a figure clad in black clothing and a mask that covered the person's mouth and nose walking toward her. DM described the figure as 5 foot 10 or taller, male, not very muscular, but athletically built with bushy eyebrows. The male walked past DM as she stood in a frozen shock phase. An officer later located a car in the area registered to someone whose driver's license information and photograph matched the description of the surviving roommate. That car was registered to Koberger, which led to law enforcement investigating and ultimately arresting him. The judge reportedly denied bail for the suspect. He has a preliminary hearing scheduled for next Thursday. Reporting by Arian Pazdar, NTD News. And another tragic crime scene, this time in Ennick, Utah. Police say a family of eight was found dead inside their home. Officials believe Michael Haight killed his wife, his mother-in-law, the couple's five children, and then himself. Each appeared to have gunshot wounds. Police were responding to a welfare check on Wednesday. It was called in by concerned family and neighbors. They had not heard from the family for some time. Court records show the suspect's wife filed for divorce two weeks before the incident. The victims were members of the Mormon church. They were well known around the town. And still to come, Russian forces have been ordered to observe a ceasefire over the Orthodox Christmas holiday. It's the first unilateral truce since the conflict began. Find out how Ukraine responded. And hospitals in Shanghai are overflowing with patients. Beds line the corridors of the emergency treatment area and main lobby. We have more on that story after the break. Good to have you back with us. Russian President Vladimir Putin on Thursday ordered a 36-hour ceasefire throughout Ukraine. It comes after the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church called for a truce over Orthodox Christmas, which is celebrated on January 6th and 7th. Ukrainian President Zelensky rejected the Russian move, calling it hypocritical, dismissing it as an excuse to play for time to regroup its invasion forces and prepare additional attacks. 
He also indicated that Ukraine will not be following suit. Russian forces have been ordered to observe the ceasefire regardless of Ukraine's opposition to it. It's the first proposed sweeping truce since the conflict began last February. A U.S. warship sailed through the sensitive Taiwan Strait on Thursday. The U.S. military has referred to it as routine activity in the area. The move has angered China, though, which claims autonomy in the region, despite objections from Taiwan's democratically elected government. The U.S. military issued a statement saying its guided missile destroyers transit through the Taiwan Strait demonstrates the United States' commitment to a free and open Indo-Pacific. The narrow Taiwan Strait has been a frequent source of military tension since communists took power in mainland China in 1949. And China is facing all kinds of issues right now. One of the most concerning ones, COVID. Numbers continue to rise. Hospitals in Shanghai are overflowing with patients. Beds line the corridors of the emergency treatment area and main lobby on Thursday. Most of them elderly and several were breathing with oxygen tanks. A notice advised patients that they would have to wait an average of five hours to be seen. This has become a common scene across China. With emergency wards filled to the brink and patients lining up for hours to get treatment, China had defended its COVID handling measures and said the country's epidemic situation is controllable. However, videos from China tell a different story. The collapse of the medical system, pharmacies out of stock, funeral homes overflowing. The Chinese regime now defines COVID deaths as death by pneumonia and respiratory failure for patients who had the virus. The World Health Organization criticized the regime for underrepresenting the severity of its outbreak and said the definition was too narrow. Disease experts outside China say its approach misses other widely recognized types of fatal COVID complications, from blood clots to heart attacks, sepsis and kidney failure. An epidemiologist with the University of Hong Kong says at least one million COVID-related deaths in China this winter is quite possible. Xi Wenrong reporting, NTD News. And there is one thing that might be worth following closely. While the outbreak is becoming more severe, the Chinese regime is relaxing its travel restrictions. China expects passenger trips during the Lunar New Year to reach 2.1 billion this year, which is double from 2022. And Tesla cut electric car prices in China for the second time in less than three months as demand in the world's largest auto market has weakened. The move raises expectations for a wider price war for battery-powered vehicles. Price cuts on Tesla's Model Y and Model 3 series were also initiated in Japan, South Korea and Australia. The price cuts reportedly come as part of a coordinated effort to help stoke demand for Tesla's output at its Shanghai factory. It's the first major move by Tesla since it appointed its new lead executive for China and Asia to oversee global output and deliveries. Turkish President Tayyip Erdogan yesterday hinted at the possibility of peace talks with Syria. Erdogan said he may meet with Syrian leader Bashar al-Assad as part of a new peace process. It follows a meeting of Turkish and Syrian defense ministers last week, marking the highest level talks between the two adversaries since the Syrian war began in 2011. Erdogan said the next step would be a trilateral meeting of foreign ministers from Turkey, Russia and Syria. 
To further develop context, Turkey has backed Syria's opposition for more than a decade of war, while Russia has backed the Syrian government. And coming up, a rare sighting captured on video. A group of whale watchers in Southern California witnessed the birth of a gray whale. And we take a look at a British school's different approach to teaching and meet the school's headmistress, who's been referred to as Britain's strictest. Find out more after the break. Welcome back. The Kilauea volcano in Hawaii began erupting again on Thursday. The Hawaiian Volcano Observatory says a glow was detected in the summit, producing smog that is confined in the Hawaii Volcanoes National Park. The volcano alert level was raised to red after an evaluation of the eruption. It could produce a volcanic smog not known as VOG, which has been observed downwind of Kilauea. VOG has the potential to generate airborne health hazards for residents and visitors. The Kilauea volcano has been erupting since 2021. A new year and new life. A group of whale watchers in Southern California witnessed a gray whale giving birth. The rare sighting was captured on video. NTD's Eileen Ng has the story. During a boat tour in Dana Point on Monday, the crew on Captain Dave's Dana Point Dolphin and Whale Watching Safari spotted blood on the water. Usually it means something predatory, but in this case, it was a newborn whale. The crew captured on video the gray whale calf learning how to swim and bond with its mother. She also brought her baby to the boat to say hello. In a statement to NTD, Captain Dave Anderson said, As far as I know, no one has filmed a gray whale giving birth or even seen it before. We were right there when it happened. According to their press release, gray whales usually give birth in Baja California's lagoons, where it's safe and warm for calves who have not yet built up a thick layer of blubber. But sometimes, calves are born during the migration. Newborn calves are about 15 feet long and will gain 50 pounds a day. The mother can lose up to 30% of their body weight during nursing. Adult gray whales are about 40 to 50 feet long and weigh 30 to 40 tons. Gray whales swim 10,000 to 12,000 miles round trip during their migration along the west coast between the seas near Alaska to Baja, California. Fascinating. A head teacher in the UK has made it her mission to reintroduce traditional values at her school. The result? Not only are the students performing better, but the approach also boosted their happiness and confidence. Here's NTD's Costa Maness to tell us about Britain's strictest headmistress and the methods she employs. Michaela Community School in Wembley, near London, was founded in 2014. The school's main focus is on traditional values and traditional discipline. Its founder, Catherine Burblesing, is proud of the school's success. I get private school heads who come here, principals who come, and say, my goodness, your kids are so much nicer than my, our own kids, right? And so how do we teach them to be like that? I mean, compassion is one of the, 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 the values that we want our children to have. The school topped the GCSE Progress 8 scores in 2022. The score measures how much progress each student has made through their secondary schooling. We have a motto, which is work hard, be kind. And we want them to work hard and really value the work. And then we also want them to be kind, decent people. We also teach them gratitude, always being grateful for what you have, because you'll always have more than somebody else. 
And even though you might have little, be grateful, not to be entitled. I think those values empower children to be really strong and be able to jump over obstacles. If instead you indulge them in victimhood and give them a sense of entitlement, then they just sit around complaining. Well, life is really hard for me. And it could be for whatever. It could be because I'm black. It could be because I'm poor. It could be because my dad left when I was little. Whatever the reason might be, they will latch onto that. It also makes them happier and more confident. Right from the get-go, the school has faced a lot of adversity. Catherine has received a lot of criticism for her traditional approach. We had to fight very hard to open our school in 2014. We are a free school, which is sort of the equivalent to a charter school in America. And I mean, we, I get sent threats of violence. Uh, I've even had death threats. Um, there have been people who protested outside our school, tried to shut us down. When we tried to open, it took us three and a half years to open the school because we had so many detractors trying to stop us from doing so. Due to a rigorous application of school rules, she's been referred to as Britain's meanest headmistress. Unfortunately, what the progressive does is it re they reject knowledge, thinking that they're making the children creative, when in fact, the route to creativity is through knowledge. Catherine says that the trajectory which society has been going down has contributed to the decline of traditional values. But she believes that for traditional parents, there's a solution. What I would say is, Try and find the most traditional school you can, and then supplement at home. There are all kinds of books that you can get to supplement your child's learning. Catherine encourages parents to instill traditional values at home to strengthen children against the chaos they're facing outside of home. Wow, Evelyn, you know, hard work, compassion, kindness, gratitude, those are some great values. It makes sense that it worked out. Yeah, for sure, I totally agree. And in combination with that blazer, perfect. <laughs> oh yeah, fashion savvy, right? <laughs> So here we're going to wrap up our program, and you can write us at goodmorning at ntd.com. Happy Friday from my colleague Evelyn Lee and myself. Have a great weekend. I'm Kevin Hogan.